You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, today I'm going to try to avoid um, rumory type stuff. Oh, hello there. Um, and I want to spend a little bit of time today on the NFL draft, if that's all right with you. And I want to kick it off with the question of the day. In the Facebook group yesterday, I put up a poll. And I asked who everybody thinks the Packers will pick. Not who do they want them to pick, who's their, what's their wish list or whatever. Although that may, in fact, be the question of the day today. So make sure you get in to the Packernet Podcast Facebook group so you can play along. But I got to be honest, I was pretty shocked at, uh, at the results. It was borderline unanimous. So I'm going to go through some of the names here. We'll go from least votes to most votes. How does that sound? Um, coming in with one vote, we got me from Travis. Later on, there's a question about who's 100% off your board. I'm not going to say Travis is 100% off my board, but I mean like 98, dude. I'm sorry. It's just the whole eligibility thing that kind of gets me. Chris says Osa Odigizua, who is somebody we have absolutely not talked about because he's not seen in these circles, but that is the the ultimate, I like him. I think he's worth it. I think he's going to go earlier than I think. And if I'm right, I'm going to be a genius. So I respect it. I don't think it's going to happen, but I respect it. One vote for Levi Onwuzurike, one for Landon Dickerson, Jason Owe, Elijah Vera Tucker, and J.C. Horn. Of that group, I'm about 90% sure J.C. Horn will not be there. Some of these guys probably won't go so early, but as we talked about the Packers. Plus, I also said, if you think they're going to trade back, don't just say trade back. Tell me the player. So some of these may be trade back predictions. Guys like Landon Dickerson, Levi and Wuzurike are expected to be much later. Oh, Osa Digizua especially. Uh, with two votes, we got Jabril Cox, who I thought I put on this list, but apparently not. Thank you, Paula. Asante Samuel, Alex Leatherwood, Rondale Moore, Rashad Bateman, Caleb Farley. With three votes, we got Zaven Collins. Four votes, Sam Cosme. Six votes, Greg Newsom. Nine votes, Tevin Jenkins. And with 16 votes, Christian Barmore. I'm not mad. By any stretch, I'm just surprised. That's definitely not where my head was. Um, and I'm still not quite with you, although it does make sense. I spent some time thinking about it, and here's kind of... It didn't even let me vote. I was going to vote, but I guess it's probably smarter that I don't, because then it's like a you know, surprise for the podcast and whatnot. I wanted to look at the Packers Pro Days and see if there was anything that was sort of noticeable. The pro days that we know that the Packers attended, or at least that Brian Gutekunst attended, because I'm sure the Packers were at, I, I, I would venture to say most of the pro days, at least somebody representing the Packers. But Northwestern, which has cornerback Greg Newsom and tackle Rashawn Slater. Florida State, which just has cornerback Asante Samuel. Clemson, of the people that the Packers might be interested in, tackle Jackson Carmen, wide receiver Amari Rogers. Alabama is just one of those schools that has a billion prospects, so you want to be there. But of the guys Packers could possibly get and might be interested in, you got Barmore, Dickerson, and I guess Dylan Moses. Not necessarily a first-round prospect, but a prospect. South Carolina, maybe J.C. Horn, because who knows if he falls. But there's also wide receiver Shai Smith. 
Virginia Tech, you got cornerback Caleb Farley, tackle Christian Derisaw, wide receiver Trey Turner, uh, running back Khalil Herbert. Ohio State, you got Wyatt Davis, Baron Browning, Josh Myers, Sean Wade, Trey Sermon, P. Warren, whatever. Point is, almost every single one of these schools has corners. Greg Newsom, Asante Samuel, um, technically Patrick Sertan, but he's probably not available, J.C. Horn, Caleb Farley, and Sean Wade. The only school that that didn't, at least as far as like early round prospects, is Clemson. In fact, I don't know if they have any. But it just feels like they're kind of honing in on cornerback. And Florida State's kind of a dead giveaway because, again, you, you, he's going there to watch Asante Samuel in person. So with that, my mind kind of went toward Greg Newsom just because I figured they're going to pick the guy that I don't like. But then, as I'm literally, as I'm sitting there stewing about it and thinking about, yeah, probably Newsom, and I'm right there, a tweet comes across that they're having their second virtual meeting with Asante Samuel, and I thought, you know what? I'm saying it's that guy. Now, he might not be there, but what I'm saying is if he's there when the Packers are picking, I'm leaning toward Asante Samuel. Again, the biggest reason, and and clearly tackle is another big one, right? You got Rashawn Slater at Northwestern. You've got Jackson Carmen at Clemson. You got Landon Dickerson at Alabama. You've got uh, Christian Derisaw, who's probably gone, but he's there uh, for Virginia Tech. You got Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers at Ohio State. So offensive line and corner are clearly big ones. But as much as I'd love to say, I think Tevin Jenkins is the guy because it makes sense. Did anybody talk with, have they had a single meeting with Tevin Jenkins? Did they go to his pro day? I know we probably say it doesn't matter, but again, the last couple of years, there's been, there's been some smoke. There was talk about Jordan Love, and I kind of brushed it off. There was the uh, Michigan pro day that they were, that was like a big thing. Like he's, he's really there, you know, this is a big thing. So I'm looking at all the Michigan prospects. And the one guy I kind of ignored was Rashawn Gary, because I'm like, nah, they're not going to take Rashawn Gary. As I said, I later kind of looked at it like, I don't know, maybe they are going to take Rashawn Gary, but it felt like they wouldn't. But either way, I think the point is if they like somebody, they're going to go. And that's the, that's, that is one of the bigger differences, I think, between um, Ted Thompson and Brian Gutekunst. Ted Thompson really put the most energy into the later round prospects. I feel like his thought process was, and I've heard a lot of um, NFL, I don't know if I would say GMs, I don't know exactly who they were, but... I've heard a lot of people who have been in the know, who have been in the meeting rooms or whatever, say things to the effect of anybody can draft a first-round pick or an early first-round pick. Like, that's easy. Being a good GM, being a good scout is about finding the guys in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round that can contribute. Finding those undrafted free agents that you want to call as a priority. And I feel like Ted Thompson really embodied that. And I also feel like it's not a coincidence that Ted Thompson struggled in the first round and had more misses but dominated the fourth round, the fifth round. I mean, he found those guys. Now, Brian Gutekunst, I think he puts a lot of resources in getting this pick right, the first pick, and he's done a very good job. And pretty much every single first-round pick, well, I don't know about Savage, but with a lot of these first-round picks, well, Jair too, but again, he just took over the job. So, I mean, what? I don't even know if he had enough time to go watch him. Not really sure how that, for all I know, he was kind of interim for a while. Who knows? But there's been... If you go back and look, like, oh yeah, they they were they were interested. I was just not paying attention. And so, if Asante Samuel, I beg your pardon. I beg of your pardon. Why am I begging his pardon? What did I do wrong? I'm not doing anything wrong. What does that even mean? I mean, I get that it's like sarcastic, but still, I I I, I refuse. I will not beg of anything of you. You're rude. You should be begging my pardon, and it's denied. Sorry. 
You will not be pardoned. I cannot wait to get a new phone just to spite you. I'm going to get the same brand of phone, so it's probably the same sounds. But Plus, I set the alarm, and I picked the noise, but I am a American millennial, so I don't take responsibility for any of my actions. That is the world's fault. It is all of your fault. Um, pretty much anything and everyone's fault except mine. So for those of you that didn't know I was a millennial, I'm sucking down a monster trying to make a career out of podcasting. So come on. I might be an older part of the generation, but you kind of knew, right? You had to know. I beg you for money so I don't have to go to my real job. I mean, this was obvious. <laughs> oh, I always hated my generation and then I became it. I am the embodiment of it. But if we picked Asante Samuel, it would be the, the biggest like duh thing in the world. Like how did it, they were basically just screaming it. They went to his pro day, and there's nobody else at Florida State that's even halfway interesting. And they went to, like, I wonder who they're going to see, and they've had two virtual meetings with him already. So I'm kind of leaning that way. And I, I know if you just look at the personnel and say, well, we need a defensive tackle the most, and, you know, we have Kevin King, so it's not as big of a need. Although I, I don't necessarily know that that's the case. When I did my uh, worst-case scenario draft where I redid the 2020 draft and the version of 2021, one of the picks, and I think it was the second round pick, which maybe this could also be why they're putting so much effort in corner, although these are not later corners with the exception of Sean Wade, J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan, Asante Samuel, you get the point, Greg Newsom. If you look at 2022, there's nobody. It's Jair and literally nobody. So, you know, if you're looking at 2021 needs, you can probably make a case for defensive tackle over corner. But beyond 2021, especially given the seriousness of the cap situation, we're not in a position to be re-signing anybody. Like, I'll take a vet minimum. Like, dude, what do you think, I'm rich? <laughs> Why you get out of my face with that veteran minimum nonsense? We had to fire the towel boy. Get out of here. So that's kind of where I'm leading, leaning, Asante Samuel. And I like it. And I want to talk about some of these other corners because there's a lot of... Um, I don't know, a, a lot of talk about a bunch of different guys, especially, 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 and I'm, I'm going to lose them here. Too many tabs, too many tabs. So let's say they are targeting corner. The guys that we're looking at, Caleb Farley is, is sort of, he's seen as this elite prospect that may fall to us because of a back injury. And somebody's already asked me, like, would you take him if he was there? I, you know. And I thought, I don't know, if he, if he, it's kind of one of those things, if he falls to us, then it's because of the back injury, and then why do we want him? And that was more or less my answer. Dude? Dude. And I got the furnace going. This is just quite quite the experience today. But I want to go through a couple different guys. Um, we're going to go through some guys that we haven't really talked about, but basically anybody that is seen as a first or second, including late second round pick, because I want to get everybody in there. We'll, we'll draw the line right before Kelvin Joseph, as much as I'd like to talk about him, because honestly, I don't know much about him, but he's 60, oh, you know what, 32, yeah, 64, he's in, boom. I don't know how to do math, but now he's in. But I want to start with Caleb Farley, because it goes deeper than just he has a back injury. I just don't want him. If he didn't have a back injury, I still don't want him. I don't really get it with Caleb Farley. The amount of risk with Caleb Farley is stupid, and it goes well beyond just a back injury. First of all, Caleb Farley did not, so you got the back injury, which is a risk. He did not play at all in 2020. He opted out of the season. He also has a prior ACL tear, and so we go back to 2019. Now, 2019, 
he had a really high coverage grade, horrific tackler, terrible against the run, offers nothing by way of pass rush, but a 90 coverage grade, which is cool. Only 18 receptions on 50 targets, which is really low, 257 yards, one touchdown, four interception, nine pass breakups, 26.8 pass rating when targeted. That's pretty solid. 2018, however, he had a 56 overall grade, 58 coverage grade. 32 of 54, 463 yards, four touchdowns given up, two interceptions, eight pass breakups. So he was bad in 2018. He was really good in coverage in 2019, but bad at everything else. Didn't play in 2020, had a torn ACL as a bad back. Why would I take Caleb Farley over half the guys in this class? I would probably take um, Greg Newsom over Caleb Farley. Beyond that, if we look at 2019, it's not like every game was great. He had one, two, three, four, five, six games which with a 70 or higher overall grade. Six. I'm going to draft this guy. I mean, we're, we're talking about him going at like pick 12 overall because of six games. And it's not like those games were against elite prospects. This is Virginia Tech we're talking about. His, his really good games came, came against Pittsburgh, which does have a pretty good defense. But I don't know about their offense. Uh, Miami, Wake, North Carolina, and his really, really good game, his one elite game was against Georgia Tech. For reference, uh, PFF out of 240 schools ranked Georgia Tech 211th. <laughs> so, so there's that. Out of the four Georgia schools, they were the worst, including Georgia Southern, etc., etc. The uh, 209th best passing team in football. So that was his one elite grade, was against Georgia Tech. I, I just, I don't get it. I'm sure there's people watching grinding the tape, and they've seen some really good games and some really good moves, and he can do some cool stuff. But he has not put a lot on tape. And I understand, especially for these guys who are, you know, scouting online or whatever else, generally the process is you watch between three and five games of a prospect. Some of these guys who want to go through hundreds of prospects, they watch two games. Well, if you watch two games from Caleb Farley in 2019, odds are he's going to be higher than a lot of other prospects, obviously. But you're not really taking in the full body of work. And the full body of work says this guy's got red flags galore, and I just don't want him at all. So again, kind of pre-answering a question in the future, who's 100% off my board? I think Caleb Farley's off my board. I'm not interested. I just, I just really don't want them. It's, it's similar to um, uh, character concerns. Couldn't think of the word. Character concerns. Where it's like, you know, if he ends up being great, fine. I'll take the L. But I'm not going to, I'm going to sleep fine at night. Because at the end of the day, it still feels like the right decision. I understand it's possible he plays and he's great and, you know, he should have taken him earlier and all that. That's fine. But even prior to, like, the back injury issues and, like, the, the fact that he's getting back surgery, even prior to that, what was he ever doing up that high? I never really understood that at all. And, again, I know a lot of the, the, the online community loved Caleb Farley, again, because these guys are the why-don't-you-go-watch-tape-bro kind of guys, and those guys are watching three, four games. And, yeah, if you watch three, four games of, of Caleb Farley next to a bunch of these guys, he probably looks better. I know, I need to watch more tape, bro. But um, I also have access to dozens of his games, and they're not all that impressive. I pay people to watch tape for me, bro. And um, I'm looking at the report, and I'm not super impressed. J.C. Horn is kind of similar. Um, I know he's sort of seen as like a, a bigger physical, physicaler. I'm just going to finish it because I was going to say it. I might as well just finish it. Um, 6'1", 205. His grades are decent. His, his, honestly, his best grade over the last two years has been pass rush, 95 and 91. 
Coverage over the last three years, 76, 63, and 78, which is okay. His run defense, 60, 66, and 65, which is, you know, average, I guess, decent for a corner. Again, this is this is strictly a tape thing. People watch the tape, and they're like, this guy's awesome, and it's like, all right, cool, I guess. I always thought it was a little bit funny when people actually would tell me that, you know, Caleb Farley or whoever was better than Patrick Sertan, because no chance. <laughs> Just no chance in the world. You look at Patrick Sertan, and it's like, oh, yeah, this guy's good. J.C. Horn, I mean, I I don't know. Seems decent. I mean, the, the competition level is better than Caleb Farley. Tennessee, Florida, Vanderbilt, Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss. That's legit. Eight receptions on 24 targets. That's pretty solid. 116 yards. He gave up three touchdowns, had two picks, and five pass breakups. I don't really care as much about interceptions, but I do like to see higher interceptions than touchdowns given up. And as much as I say interceptions are are kind of fleeting and I don't care as much about them. I do kind of care about touchdowns. I haven't really thought about it until this exact moment, so I haven't really fleshed that out, but I hate seeing guys giving up a ton of touchdowns. Not that three is a ton, but again, three is higher than two. So, I mean, statistically, J.C. Horn looks solid. Grade-wise, PFF is not overly impressed. I, I guess I'm kind of indifferent on it, but either way, he's gone, so it doesn't really matter. Next, you got Greg Newsom. I've kind of given my thoughts on Greg Newsom. Um, I mean, he had three years at Northwestern, 53 overall grade, 62 overall grade, so not very good. He had a quote-unquote breakout year in 2020, but he only played six games, and two of them he graded out as good. Michigan State and Wisconsin, 71 against Michigan State, 88 against Wisconsin, that's it. Because of that, and because of the fact that he played no, um, not a ton of games, and he never had any bad games, his worst was a 60.2, he averaged out at about an 80, and that's his breakout. So again, it's just, it's too high risk. I mean, what has he done? I'm sure if you watch his game against Wisconsin, you're going to love him. Six targets, one reception for seven yards, including a pick and two pass breakups. Zero passer rating when targeted. That's pretty fantastic. Also had zero passer rating against Illinois and Ohio State because no targets, no receptions. There you go. For the season, 12 receptions, 34 targets, uh, 93 yards, which again are good stats until you realize it's six games. So it's just, it's too small of a sample size. We're talking about two good games, and then you go back to 2019, 2018, and PFF's like, he's barely average. So I don't know. Now, maybe if he did play a whole year, he would have just sustained this for the whole year, and this is officially his breakout, and he's actually a very good prospect, and I'm being too hard on him. Fine. I'm going to try not to be mad if we take Greg Newsom because he's probably a good player. Whatever. I'll leave it at that. Um, competition level, I mean, he did play Ohio State, which is solid. It's, it's all, from what I can see, Big Ten. I hate to rag on Big Ten, but I just, I can't get into it, um, especially the the passing level. You know, there's a lot of, like, smash-mouth football in the Big Ten, which I guess is cool, but, like, Wisconsin hasn't figured out how to throw a ball, like, ever, and that's your big game. Like, all right, congratulations, I guess. Like, did you stop the run? Because that's, that's the only thing that's somewhat impressive. Speaking of 60 run defense grade, 52 tackling, not super matter, but kind of matters. Then you get my guy, Asante Samuel, who I just like, because he gives me, although nothing super elite, he gives me two things that I love, consistency and growth. He's never had a bad year. In 2018, he was out of the gate, 73 overall grade. He went from a 73 to a 76 in 2019 and from a 76 to an 81 in 2020. Consistent growth. His coverage grade, 69, 78, 82. Consistent growth. Offers you nothing in pass rush. Actually, decent run defense and decent tackling. has been average in tackling. His run defense has been 86, 67, and 76. You don't have growth, but you've got consistency. He can do it. And at 5'10", 184, I don't care about your size when you are the the biggest dog out of all these 6'2", 205, 210-pound corners that we just talked about. You're the best run defender and tackler of the entire group. 
I don't care how big you are. I don't care how Jai, how big Jair is. He's our biggest dog too. I trust him in the flat more than more than uh, Kevin King, and Kevin King's a lot bigger. So grade-wise, Asante blows these guys out of the water. He's got, again, the, the consistency and the growth every single year. The only thing he has going against him is uh, his size. And, and even if you look, just zoom into 2020, it's not like one good game brought up his grade and the rest are all average or bad. He's got a 74 against Georgia Tech, a 72 against Miami, 76 against Jacksonville State, 72 against North Carolina, and an 80 against Pittsburgh. He has one game that was a 56 and two in the 60s, and that's it. Almost every game is a 70 or better. One, two, three, four, five out of eight. So consistency from year to year, consistency from game to game. He's got that dog mentality like Jair has. I just really like Asante Samuel, and I don't care that he's 5'10", 184. I don't. It doesn't bother me. Does it bother you what, what size Jair is? And I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to be Jair. I just don't see a negative with Asante Samuel. I would take Asante Samuel over J.C. Horn, way over Caleb Farley, and way ahead of Greg Newsom. I just, again, I haven't sat down and watched the guys, but I think the biggest reason I haven't is because I don't care what I think. If I sit down and I watch him and go, eh, I don't really like it, I'm still going to defer to what I'm looking at here. Three years worth of grades and statistics that tell me Asante Samuel's a very good football player. And again, the Packers are all over this guy. I'm not trying to sway you. I want you to like the guys that you like. There's no fun in this if you just do whatever I say and just listen to what it, that's that's no fun. That's dumb. Call me a moron and say this guy's way better. Stand your ground. I'm just saying I I can't I can't unsee what I'm seeing right now. Next we got Eric Stokes out of Georgia. A um, couple different Georgia guys. Both of these guys are blazing, blazing fast. I had somebody ask me on Twitter. I think it was about Tyson Campbell. So we'll get there. So I'm I'm gonna I'm answering multiple questions at once here. The biggest issue I have with Eric Stokes is the fact that he he has everything in spades except growth. He's regressed. He started out in 2018 with an 82 overall grade. I mean, this is this is like Asante Samuel, but better. In 2019, 81. Now that's technically regression, but it's not even worth talking about. In 2020, 72. His coverage went from an 84 to a 78 to a 73. Why are you going backwards? It was his worst tackling year. It was his worst run defense year. Second worst pass rush year. Fortunately, it was one of his better statistical years. He didn't have a single interception in 2018 or 2019. He had four in 2020. He also only gave up 145 yards, so he had a passer rating, which was his best in the three years of 43.6. So if we say that that kind of balances it out, and he's been an incredibly solid tackler. I mean, you want to talk about the best of the group so far. It's not even close. Eric Stokes is the man. Again, 6'1", 185, blazing speed. And even though he regressed to 72.5, remember, that's a good grade for most of these guys. If good is a bad year for Eric Stokes, and it's also his best statistical year, I think I'll take that. So I'm not opposed to Eric Stokes either. The only thing that makes me nervous and it's so stupid is anytime you see a guy that's like blazing fast, I can't help but think that he's only as high as he is because of speed, and I just don't care about speed. I really don't. All it does is push people higher up the board than they should be. I want to know where he belongs based purely on talent. Take away his speed and tell me how good he is. I would say more often than not, guys that get drafted on speed are terrible. Every wide receiver with like 4-2, 4-3 speed is, is pretty bad. Very few are any good at football. Kevin King has blazing speed. It does nothing. How useful is it when you watch him 10 strides behind somebody? It's useless. Because in reality, when you got five steps on somebody, if you run a 4-6 and he runs a 4-3, he's still not going to catch you. Because we're talking about tenths of a second difference. It's, it's very, if you watch these guys run side by side in a 40-yard dash, you can barely clap your hands fast enough to get between the two times. 
three-tenths of a second difference over 40 yards, how is he going to catch up? He's not. That's the answer to the question. We act like it's some video game where somebody's got like 99 speed or something and it just they just they can catch anybody. Like they're going to cover 15 yards of ground while the ball's in the air. That's not going to happen. He might cover like three to five of those yards. If they're both in a dead sprint, he's not going to get there. I'm sorry. It's not just a cheat code. But anyways, I mean, I, again, he seems fine. The, the, the other issue is he does have some lower games, like against Alabama, which is also another flag when you see like the best team he went up against. He had a 47. You know, against Arkansas, you see a 27 tackling grade. Against Kentucky, you know, run defense, 47 tackling. Four. He just has these sort of really bad days. He also doesn't have a lot of, like, elite days, which, you know, as a Packer fan, I'm, I'm kind of just tired of that. I would rather have somebody that's a consistent 70 every week than a guy that's like a, you know, one week he's an 80, one week he's a 40, next week he's a 70, next week he's a 20, next week he's a 90. It's just, ugh, I don't care. I don't care. Just don't be horrible. Look, being elite is great. Stop being horrible. That's it. I don't care. Don't care about elite. Just be good. Just just be fine. I mean, we got a whole defense. We got a whole group of guys. You don't have to carry the team. I don't need a Michael Jordan on defense. That's silly. Maybe as a pass rusher. But, I mean, just do your job. Just do an adequate job. You know, six targets, two receptions for 22 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions, and a pass breakup. That's fantastic. Give me that all the time. I'm going to be bummed about that one, like, 14-yard pass you gave up, but, you know, I'll get over it. Next, we got Elijah Molden, another smaller guy, um, kind of a slot slash safety, but they've got him listed at corner, so I'm going to call him a corner. Uh, you know what? I'm going to take him off. PFF calls him a safety. Forget it. We're calling him a safety. We're not talking about him today. That brings us to cornerback, Efedi Melfanwu. Um... Effetti might be the exact guy I just described. He does his job every day. He doesn't really have any elite games, but he is the epitome of consistent. Um, six foot three, two thirteen. If you want a guy that's got size, he's got it. He's got consistency. He's not Jair. I don't know that that his ceiling is ever going to be Jair, but I don't know that his floor is going to be Kevin King either. I, I guess he could just make a jump to the pros and be terrible. I don't know, but. Three years of grades at Syracuse, 75, 72, 78. His grades this season, 70, 61, 62, 65, 69, 76, 67, 71, 71, 65, 58. Now, the 58 is like, yeah, he's so close, 58.8. But, I mean, it's like 60 to 70 every single day. It's not great. I wish it was a little bit better, but 78 overall and just doesn't have bad days. That 58 overall grade was like his one bad day. Four receptions, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Ah, shucks. After that, like Louisville, two receptions for 60 yards, but a pick and a pass breakup. Like, yeah, I, I think I'll take that. Five receptions, uh, eight targets, five receptions, 56 yards, two pass breakups. I'll take that. Six receptions, 51 yards, and a pass breakup. I think I'll take that. Six receptions, 48 yards, two pass breakups. This guy's got a lot of pass breakups. I'll take that. NC State, three targets, three receptions, 36 yards. Did give up a touchdown, but also had a pass breakup. I'll take it. It's only three receptions for 36 yards. The touchdown stings, but otherwise, he shot everybody down. Against Wake, two receptions, 28 yards. Georgia Tech, two receptions, 21 yards. Boston College, one reception, 12 yards. Pittsburgh, two receptions, 12 yards. Liberty, nothing. Like, that's just, there's never a game where it's like, dude, you just suck. Right? Notre Dame is like the only one. That's that's it. Like, ah, that, that, was, that was rough. Like, you kind of hurt us in that game. They're four receptions, but they're big receptions and a touchdown, and you didn't get anything by way of interceptions or pass break. But that's his only bad game of the entire year. And again, over three years, it's the same thing. 
just solid, consistent. Now, if you're again, if you're looking for a Jair, if you're looking for an elite guy, I don't know if he's got, I mean, he's 6'3", 213, and again, he's got decent amount of pass breakups, only one pick, but I don't know if he has that high a ceiling. I just think he's, he's just, he's just, he's fine. And that's probably why nobody talks about him. He's not going to be a highlight reel guy, but if you're looking for just a consistent number two, a guy that's just not going to ruin all of Jair's good work because everyone's like, well, forget Jair. I'm just going to throw at this other guy because he's trash. Like, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm here doing my job. I'm fine, man. I just, I just do my job. Then I don't, I don't hate it. And and, and I know I just said that this is what I'm looking for. I, I think my only concern is like, if you're getting sixties in college, that when we go to the pros, you're going to be getting like forties and you're going to be kind of bad. But if you told me that this, he's going to be the same guy in the pros, this is my guy. Well, Asante's still my guy because he's going to give you this, but also have a higher ceiling. But I'm I'm more than good with a guy like this. We've got our shutdown guy. You give me a Fetty Milfanwu and tell me that he's going to be the same way at 6'3", 213, a big, strong, pushing people around guy that just doesn't ruin entire games. 100% I'm, a, I'm down on that. Next, we got the other Georgia uh, cornerback, 6'2", 185. Again, blazing speed. Both of these guys got decent height, but smaller than average weight, which kind of makes sense because they're blazing fast. But um, again, you got a guy that I'm just, I'm, I'm big on based on that, those two criteria. His three grades at Georgia, basically 70, 76, and 75. It's not exactly linear going up, but let's call it flatlining. Still, three years of consistency, I just like it. Now again, he does have some bad days. He's a little bit more volatile. You got your 82, your 78, your 75, but you also got your 58, your 57, and your 48. And the 48 came against Alabama. So, you know, it 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 throws up the flag because you think when you go to the pros, it's just a bunch of Alabamas. Is this what we're going to get from you? I'm glad you did good against South Carolina, Arkansas, and Mississippi State, but you're going up against a bunch of Alabamas. So that's the big question with 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 Campbell. Very volatile. Not in a year. I mean, by the end of the year, he's going to grade out well. But there's volatility in the year, a lot of highs and lows. And I'm again, I'm just not a super big fan of that. Add in the fact that he's got blazing speed. It just makes me nervous. The fact that he's probably going to get overdrafted, that people are going to overlook the flaws and say, yeah, but he's fast. So we can make up for it, which I don't think has ever been the case. And then finally, Mr. Kelvin Joseph. Um, I mean, again, you want to talk about high risk. Um, 2018 LSU graded out horribly, didn't play in 2019. Uh, transferred to Kentucky, played in 2020, had a 70 overall grade, but we're talking, I mean, geez, 91 against Tennessee. And again, if this is one of those things where it's like you're a tape grinder or whatever, and you watch his game against Tennessee and Alabama, you're going to love Kelvin Joseph because those are his two highest graded games, 91 against Tennessee, 74 against Alabama, which is great because like those are good football teams. It's the opposite of what you would expect. I mean, three targets, no receptions, and an interception against Alabama? This guy out of Kentucky, I mean, that's going to raise some eyebrows. But then you got 76 against Mississippi. Those are the three good games. Then you got 61, 58, 57, 55, 50, and 49. He was bad most of the year. Not into it. He, he, I mean, we're talking one year, three games. No, just just no. 6'1", 192. You go check him out for yourself. But if you're going to watch his Tennessee, Alabama, or Mississippi State game, Mississippi State game, make sure you watch Ole Miss, Florida, and Vanderbilt too. All right? Um, quickly, I just want to kind of look at the man versus zone thing because that's a new thing that they added. We can take a look at it. Looks like Kelvin Joseph is the most zone heavy. 78.6% of the time he was in zone. So it also seems like he's probably strictly going to be a zone guy, which probably works to our advantage. So that's not a problem. But any team that's going to ask him to man people up, I just I think you got to take Kelvin off your board. 
After that, it looks like Greg Newsom, 38th, um, 76% of the time. Then you got Asante Samuel, 67%. Tyson Campbell at 62. Sean Wade, who we didn't mention, also at 62 because I see him sitting here. Eric Stokes, 57% of the time. Patrick Sertan, 57. So mostly, mostly these guys are playing in zone, it seems like. But anyways, again, it seems to me, if I had to guess, just based on what the Packers are investing the most time in, it seems to be corner. Maybe tackle is kind of a close second, which makes sense. I, I would say that those two are kind of top of the list. I, I know defensive tackle is also up there. They did go to the Alabama Pro Day, which, you know, there's not that many defensive tackles, so you, they did their homework on about as many guys as there is to look at. So, I mean, who knows what they're going to end up doing. And again, the cool thing about this year is you can pretty much pick anybody and it's like, yeah, I could see that. Might not be my favorite prospect. Maybe they take Greg Newsom. Maybe they take Caleb Farley. Maybe they take, you know, Stokes or whatever with, with some of the guys that I like still available. But at the end of the day, the position they take is going to be somebody that we can all, for the most part, understand. Not to say that people aren't going to be mad, because they're going to be mad, but it should be toned down quite a bit. Anyways, uh, why don't we take a break? I don't know if I said thank you to Dylan Anderson, so I'm going to say thank you to Dylan Anderson for jumping in on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. Helps me out massively, tremendously, stupendously. Make sure you invite people to the Facebook group, Cheese and Packers Facebook page. Again, I'm, I'm already kind of working through plans on how I can do more video content. I'm really torn on what to do, but the how to do is kind of starting to come together. In other words, how do I fit in my YouTube channel as well as the amount of Facebook stuff I want to do as well as still doing the podcast and all that stuff. I, you know, it's a time crunch, which is why patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is incredibly important because if I don't have this big thing called a job in my way, then, you know, if we could just triple the size of our audience, we're, we're kind of cooking with uh, cooking with oil or whatever it is you choose to cook with. Anyways, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So a couple questions here. Um, again, I've halfway answered some of these, but Andy, Andy Monday says, Ryan, who is off your board? There's not a lot of people that I, I would say that I'm going to take 100% off my board. Um, it's kind of a up there question because it's open to interpretation. So I'll, I'll take some... some uh, some liberties with it. Again, I, I really think um, Caleb Farley is just going to be off. He just, he, he worries me too much. Too much injury issues, too much all that stuff. I'm just not super into it. I honestly don't know if anybody else is just 100%. There's people I'm going to be disappointed with. You know, I mean, like Gregory Rousseau, I'm looking at him and I'm like, you know, he's one of those guys that was supposed to go real high. And if he falls, that's sort of seen as like a steal, I guess. But I don't think he ever should have been that high. And I just, I never really liked him, even when he was a top five prospect. And I'm looking at him going, nah, this guy's going to fall. There's no way, based on what he's actually done, he looks the part. There's always those guys that look the part. They're tall, super long arms, athletic, whatever, although he's not athletic. But they, they look the part, but they never really put it on the field. And I just, I wouldn't be excited. But again, I off the board... I don't know. I, I really think Caleb Farley might be the only one I would completely take off. I mean, you could say I would take Travis Etienne off the board because I just don't want a running back. Take Mac Jones off the board, and uh, am I saying it's possible he's there? Kind of. I'm just saying there, there's a part of me that thinks that the Mac Jones thing is all just kind of fake. I know he's real good, but I don't know. He'll probably go top five. But if he doesn't, just saying. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I can give you a better answer than that. I mean, if it was just based on preference, I guess maybe I would take Newsom off the board just because I just don't really want him, although I would get over it if we got him. You know, Najee Harris off the board. I mean, even as I'm going through this, like, I, I would be excited about most of these guys. Like, Terrace Marshall isn't my favorite wide receiver prospect, but I'd still be jacked. Jalen Mayfield, Rondale Moore, Landon Dickerson, Elijah Moore, like any one of these picks. It's like, that's awesome. Nick Bolton, maybe I'm not a big fan of probably take him off not i mean and again if we did this this is based on preference not like legitimately off the board for any reason he goes on to say which players from your big board have been ranked in the first round by at least one other big board that's out there i don't understand what that question means but he goes on to say which of those do you think will still be on the board in round two as round one talent so i'll just take that full question to be which round one guys do you think will be there in round two fair enough number one gregory russo i don't think he goes in the first round I think you you factor in how horrible his his testing numbers were and the fact that he really wasn't that dominant in college. I think that was always kind of fake. And so you're looking at a guy that people think has high upside because of his body type, but you factor in how limited his athleticism is. I just think he plummets out of the first round. Um, Caleb Farley, I tend to think, is going to fall into the second round. Um, you, could, you could say Najee Harris just because he's a running back. He's listed at 25th overall. He could fall. Same you could say with Zayvon Collins. He's listed at 28 overall, but he's a linebacker, so he could fall a little bit. Otherwise, I mean, you got edge rushers and tackles, and I mean, Kadarius Toney could could easily fall out, but he could also go at like 20 overall, and it wouldn't surprise me. So those are the only ones that kind of stand out to me is Caleb Farley and Gregory Rousseau, as well as possibly because of position, you know, guys like Collins and, and Harris. But also if any of them went in the first round, it wouldn't super shock me either. 
Caleb Farley was considered a borderline top 10 talent. So if somebody thinks they're getting a value in the 20s, including the Packers, then it's like, all right, I guess I get it. Not a fan, but I get it. Dustin, in a very similar vein, um, he says, as Gooseman brought up, there's a lot of players who, quote, won't be available when we pick. This may be a big ask, but who will 100% be gone by the time the Packers are on the board, or the consensus is that they'll be gone by then, if that makes sense. We're going to have to go with consensus, although I'm, I'm going to go, like, hard consensus. Because, I mean, you know, Trevor Lawrence could get convicted of a murder. or I mean, something stupid, you know what I mean? Like, there's sometimes things pop up right as the draft's about to happen, like some social media thing pops up. Now, it would have to be serious for Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, I mean, it would have to be borderline murder for him to not get picked number one, in which case he's just going to go to prison and not go to the NFL. So we'll say that if something so drastic happens that they fall, um, the Packers wouldn't pick him anyways. So we'll, we'll take him off the board. But just starting from the top, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Penny Sewell, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, Trey Lance. I mean, again, based on the teams that are very needy in the range and the fact that he's considered top 10, I'm not going to say 100%. I mean, you look at his skill set compared to Lamar Jackson, and Lamar played for a better school, and I, I kind of think was maybe a little bit more talented than Trey Lance. He was like the last pick in the first round. So he's expected to go early. Uh, you know, okay, fine. Let's say 95% he's not there. Patrick Sertan is gone. Devontae Smith is, again, like a 95%. I know a lot of people say he's like the top guy, but I recently saw somebody put a big board out. He was not that high. I think he's starting to fall. He was way up on the boards until Jamar tested, and they're like, oh, okay, I guess Jamar is better, which most people that actually know what they're talking about always knew that. But Devontae Smith won the Heisman, and some people think that actually means something when it almost always means nothing. He's very, very small. He's very, very slender. And and, and again, does he make it to Green Bay? No. Does he slide? I think it's possible. So again, it's like a 98% that he's not there when the Packers pick. Uh, Jalen Waddle should be gone. Rashawn Slater. Now there's two guys, and I get confused which one's which between Rashawn Slater and Christian Derisaw. I'm going to say Rashawn is gone. Christian Derisaw, not necessarily. Micah Parsons is a 92% gone. Mac Jones is a 95% gone. Again, there's a lot of smoke, but I just I don't know. You know, if 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 teams look at Mac Jones and they say he's a system quarterback with no mobility that benefited from a great offensive line, a great scheme, a great program great wide receivers, great everything around him. He could slide, at least within range. Now, does he make it past Washington and Chicago? Probably not, but, you know, it depends what they think of him. J.C. Horn, I'm saying, I mean, that one's even higher than a lot of these because there's very cornerback needy teams in this range, and there's not a lot of corners, so I just think there's almost no chance. Derisaw, again, could I fall, unless I'm thinking of Rashawn Slater, but there are some guys who look at him as like an interior guy, not necessarily exterior. Caleb Farley, I've already talked, could possibly go into the second round, so I think there's a good chance he's there. He's not 100% gone. Quiddy Pay, I'm saying, is 100% gone. Elijah Vera Tucker is an interior guy, so unlikely, but not 100%. Uh, JOK, not 100%. I mean, of the guys left, I don't think anybody is 100% gone. Um, Rashad Bateman is at 24. I think it's very likely that he's gone, but I mean, as far as 100%, Lawrence, Wilson, Field, Sewell, Chase, Pitts, Sertan. Um... Those are the only ones I can say 100%. Then there's a bunch of 90s. And then after that, once you get into like the 15 to 20s, any of them could be there. I guess that's kind of my list. Finally, and I, I kind of hate that I left this for last because I feel like it's something I could talk about for a long time and I got 10 minutes. But really good question here from uh, Hoy Poloi. It says, let's say 12 returns to MVP form and takes us 3-0 and before a season-ending injury. 
Jordan Love steps in. His score is a 69.5 on PFF. <laughs> He's really thought this through. 69.5, just under a 70. We finish 9-7. and seven. Do we extend Rodgers or move on? Now, I'm guessing 90% of people are going to say it's obvious. We went 9-7 and seven because Jordan Love sucks. Um, we have to bring back Rodgers. Here's the couple variables that make it interesting, though. Um, Rodgers went out with a season-ending injury. So you got to already think, we're, we're kind of ready to move on. And the fact that Jordan Love came in and played is to his benefit, even though he didn't play all that well, because he got an opportunity to learn. So now we have more reason to move on. The, one of the issues with saying that we're going to move on from Aaron Rodgers even next year, the, the biggest hurdle I have with that is we're not going to see Jordan Love. We're not going to see him in a regular season. It's going to be so hard to move on from a guy when we don't even see what what he can do. So the fact that he's been on the field and that he's learning and they can say that they're seeing XYZ growth or whatever, all the pieces are kind of in place. And remember, we would like to be able to move on. The salary cap is a nightmare. But again, obviously the hard part is Aaron Rodgers was at MVP form again. He did it again. And Jordan Love is nowhere near Aaron Rodgers, so there's a massive gap there. But You've got to also factor in the season-ending injury. Can we assume he's going to come back to MVP form for the third year in a row, a year later coming off, let's say, an ACL? I don't know that we know that for sure. And if the Packers really would like to move on, this is their excuse. This is their reason. This is it. This is the big, like, you know, we would love to keep Aaron, but at the cost that he's at. We're, we're pushing $40 million against the cap. He's just coming off a torn ACL. He's pushing 40 years old. And now we've got Jordan Love, who, you know, he had his struggles, but he's got a year under his belt. I know the easy option is to bring back Rodgers to just say, look, Jordan Love clearly doesn't have it. we got to bring back Rodgers. And it's hard to say when you don't actually watch. I mean, if you watch it and he's Brett Hundley, it's, it's an obvious situation. Although clearly he won games. We're talking about him going six and seven. So he's, he's a 500 guy which isn't good, but I mean, it's better than Brett Hundley where you just didn't win games. So I, I, you know, man, that's, that's really, really hard because then I mean, even if you bring back Rogers, remember this isn't a permanent thing. Rogers is still going to be gone soon. So I guess you could say, okay, well, we bring him back for two years and then we try Jordan in another two years. Let's give him more time to learn. And if not, let's try to draft a quick, or we bring back Rogers and we really focus on, I think that's the point. Either we say Jordan's got it and he's going to be okay. We saw the growth. We think he can do it. We're moving on. Or we realize Jordan isn't the guy, we bring back Rodgers, and we dedicate a lot of energy to drafting a new quarterback. I think that kind of needs to be the thing. Aaron Rodgers, though, the point is he's not the long-term answer. He just isn't, especially coming off an ACL. I love Rodgers, he's doing all these things, but you can't not plan for the future. You just can't do that. So what we have to do is make a decision. Are we moving forward with Jordan Love, or are we moving forward looking for a new replacement for Aaron Rodgers? But we have to do one of those two things. We have to have a plan for a replacement. So kind of danced around it a little bit, but again, given what happened in that situation, like did he start off losing and win like the last four in a row? Did he look really sharp? In which case, yeah, Jordan's the guy we're moving on. Did he just look like straight up trash and basically he got dragged by the running backs and by Devontae and by some great defensive heroic performances. And, you know, if it wasn't for this great roster, the guy would never have been anywhere. Plus, the other benefit is going 9-7, and seven, we're picking a little bit higher. It's not high enough to actually get, like, an elite quarterback, but it's a pretty stacked quarterback class next year. So if we're going to flop, let's just... <sighs> See, now, now I'm getting into stupid territory here. If Aaron Rodgers is going to get hurt and Jordan Love isn't the answer, and I know nobody wants to hear this, but I'm just going to speak what I'm thinking out loud because that's how I operate. 
Let's let it happen early. Because you got a guy like Sam Howell sitting there. Like if Jordan Love is just straight up trash, like worse than Brett Hundley, worse than, uh, what's the other guy? You know the guy. You know the guy. I mean, we're just talking he's horrible. I wouldn't mind like winning two games and getting that first pick and just being getting the best. Because then it's, it's like one bad year and you're back on track. Like we're back. Boom. Done. We got Sam Howell. We're back in the game. Or we go crazy and get a guy like Spencer Rattler or Desmond Ritter or Tyler Shaw. I mean, there's a bunch of guys. Keaton Slovis, I don't think is that good. He's listed as the second highest guy. I don't think he's going to be there. Sam Howell's listed at four. I think that's silly. I think he goes number one, no problem. Um, or, boom, get my man Matt Coral. That's what I'm talking about. I, I'm sorry. For all the <laughs> – now I'm just making everybody mad. You got the pro Jordan Love people and you got the pro Aaron Rodgers people, and I'm talking about we should get Matt Coral and just dominate. We, we should win zero games and get Sam Howell, man. I just lost any listener that was here five seconds ago. 500 unsubscribes from the podcast. I'm just saying if, if Aaron Rodgers is going to get hurt, we don't have an option. If Jordan Love is bad, I'm just saying just go over, right? We'll have a terrible year. I'll make zero money with the podcast because nobody's going to listen. Everybody's going to be mad. It's going to be a miserable year. But guess what? We're going to get Sam Howell and we're going to dominate. And we got all kinds of money now because we're not, we, you know, no quarterback or whatever. Matt Coral, man, I, I, that guy, that's my man right there. He's currently sitting at 40 overall. I don't know. I think he's a first-round pick next year. Better than Keaton Slovis. That guy out of my face. Anyways, that's it, folks. I'm actually ending on time today. This is like a great feeling. When the end of the show is at 4.58, boom. As smooth as silk and buttery silk. Silky butter. You ever pour butter on silk? Maybe you should try it before you judge me. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday. Make sure you get in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. we get got another question of the day coming at ya. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.